we're going to start this episode with a bit of ancient history. On August 2nd, Apple crossed a trillion dollars in market value. All of it paid off big time Yay! yesterday when Apple became the first publicly traded company in U.S. history to hit one trillion bucks in value. That's one with 12 zeros after it. To put things in perspective... Apple held on to its stratospheric valuation for all of three months. On November 2nd, it closed the trading day at a value of $986.6 billion. For part of a single trading day in September, Amazon also breached the threshold. We start with amazing Amazon. Somewhere, CEO Jeff Bezos is smiling, maybe even laughing, as the company becomes the second one ever to hit a trillion dollar valuation, coming in right behind Apple a month ago. It's a sign of just how much the tech industry has come to dominate the economy. But perhaps, it also represented some kind of high watermark for tech. Apple has lost about 20% of its market value since the peak. Amazon is down around 26%, and Wall Street is punishing other tech stocks. Alphabet's down about 20% from its peak. Facebook's down twice that much. What had been a simmering problem for tech stocks seemed to reach a boil just before Thanksgiving. As the tech inferno rages on, how much worse can it get? What do you do with tech? The closing bell ending one of the worst days on Wall Street, a drop of over 600 points on the Dow, bringing financial markets to the lowest levels since March 2009. For the last decade, Americans have been very enthusiastic about the big tech companies, but that mood is shifting. Is social media undermining democracy? How scared should we be about our loss of privacy? And should the government break up the big tech companies like Amazon? This market turmoil comes after months of these mounting concerns. Now seems like a good time to ask, if there are leaner times ahead, what does it mean for big tech? And how does that affect the rest of us? Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Joshua Brewstein. And this week on Decrypted, we'll take a look at what's driving investors on Wall Street to start dumping tech stocks en masse. And if the market continues to punish Silicon Valley, what unintended consequences could play out elsewhere? Now, it is worth noting that predicting a tech shakeout has been a pretty surefire way to be dead wrong over the last couple of years. Back in 2012, smart people warned that Facebook would be laid low by its inability to adapt to the smartphone. Others at the time said Apple's growth would soon hit some basic limits of economics. The debate over the bubble in the tech industry continued on through 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, last year, and straight on to today. So we'll see if this time is different. Stay with us. So Josh, we're taping this on the Tuesday before the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., and uh, the, the last few weeks have been pretty brutal for tech stocks, right? There have been some recent events that have caused a real directional shift. There were some reports from suppliers to Apple that a large customer was reducing its orders. And this really forwarded the same narrative that's coming out from Apple itself, that iPhone sales are probably not going to be what they have been in the past. For Facebook, at the same time, there have been increasing reports about the way that it's really mishandled its response to some of the criticism regarding disinformation um, and election issues. And those two companies have really been hit hard. You've seen the other companies go with them. These tech companies, by any 
tangible standard have been phenomenally successful and continue to be successful. You know, Amazon's not going out of business, but at the same time, they are entering a period where growth seems like it's going to be harder to come by. And that's partially just because they are so big and they've infiltrated so deeply into our lives that how can they really get much deeper? Right. Well, let's take these companies one at a time. You mentioned Apple. Obviously, you know, the, the company seems to have cut its own expectations for the iPhone. Certainly suppliers have been more public about that. Uh, Goldman Sachs uh, lowered its rating on Apple recently. And, and we're seeing reports of weak iPhone demand in China and other emerging markets. Not a great reception for that kind of top of the line iPhone XR. Is Apple a victim of its own success here? Yeah, I think that sounds right. One thing about Apple um, is that it started making smartphones that people really wanted to buy every two years if they already had one or maybe buy their first smartphone. And both of those trends have kind of reached, um, you know, they're really reaching their limit. People are buying new smartphones, uh, much less. And people who wanted smartphones pretty much already have one at this point. Apple has acknowledged this in its most recent earnings report. It said it was just going to stop saying how many smartphones it sells. And um, you don't stop saying how many smartphones you sell if you think you're going to continue to sell more and more and more. Um, It also said that it was going to look to make more money from services. So Apple's acknowledging that, you know, it's reached a point where it's going to be a slightly different company going forward. Josh, let's talk about Amazon now. Certainly, you know, one of the companies that has performed the best in in the markets over the last five years. And yet, since it hit that intraday high of a trillion dollars a few weeks ago, it's been really nothing but down since. Um, One big component of the market pessimism seems to be is that core retail business, which grew at just 11% in the third quarter. You know, things like AWS, the cloud business, advertising continue to grow so quickly But, you know, maybe they hit a saturation point. I mean, in the U.S., I think it's like 60% of all households are already Amazon Prime members. So what room do they have to grow? Yeah, I think the story here is that you'd rather be Amazon than any other e-commerce company, but that eventually Amazon is going to reach the limits of its own growth in the same way that Apple does, really. Yeah, I think Amazon kind of foresaw this moment, and yet the things that it was relying on to to save it and continue the uh, fast pace of retail growth were, were businesses like uh, their business in India, uh, the, the grocery business and the acquisition of Whole Foods. And those just haven't paid the immediate dividends that Amazon has needed to keep growing at 20, 25% in the retail business. And, and when we talk about the kind of Hail Mary passes uh, to, to continue growth, it also kind of reminds me of Google because, you know, Google sort of the same slowdown as the other tech companies and it's those businesses like um, self-driving cars with the Waymo division and, and, and maybe like a revived business in China that haven't come in and rescued the slowdown in the, in the core business. Yeah, I think Google has a real disconnect. There are those things that people like to talk about that Google is doing, as you mentioned, the self-driving cars, sort of the moonshots, as they've been called. And then there's the way that Google makes money, and that's selling digital advertising. It's a great business for Google. It continues to be. But... There is a limited amount of advertising that the businesses of the world are willing to buy. And Google is such a large proportion of the digital ad sales at this point that it's going to have trouble continuing to grow at the rates it has in the past. Um, And that's a similar dynamic with Facebook because it's the other kind of big player in the digital ad market. 
But Brad, uh, Facebook's also had some other problems, which I think are kind of the leading uh, edge of sort of broader concerns about tech. And, and those are the social problems. What, what do you think about those? Well, I mean, I think they're existential for Facebook. I mean, people spend so much of their lives on, on the service, on, you know, ancillary services like Instagram and WhatsApp. And, you know, part, part of the, like the contract I think Facebook has with its users is that, you know, that the service like improves their lives. It helps them connect to, uh, to friends and family and, and they're, it's a productive use of their time. And I think all the criti criticism and scandals around the company has made people feel a lot more ambivalent about the, about the service, you know? And so I think Facebook faces some real challenges and we're seeing the impact of these controversies in, in its quarterly numbers. You know, the, the, the membership growth has slowed. The revenue growth is now slower than investors expected. So I think we're beginning to see the impact from what has really been a year of nonstop conflict and controversy. Yeah, I think Facebook kind of represents the extreme view of a number of dynamics uh, that are sort of broadly within the tech company. You know, people don't necessarily feel good about using Facebook. Um, there have been Facebook has been sort of front and center in the questions about its role in democracy and the political debate. And then also its response to these problems has been kind of the most tenured, uh, the most bungled of, of any company, really. And so you have all of the things that are bothering people about tech in general seem to be happening at Facebook to the greatest extent. But Facebook doesn't have a, a monopoly on those concerns. And, and speaking of, of monopoly, uh, I think it's another thing that is maybe uh, worrying investors and kind of challenging some of the expectations of growth around these companies that, you know, they're now being thought of as kind of monolithic companies who, whose impacts on, uh, on communities might not be great. The appetite for new regulation is rising to a certain extent in Washington and D.C., but certainly in, in, in Europe where, you know, Google is, is appealing a $5 billion fine. Uh, it's not, the discussion isn't completely connected to the stock price issue, but I mean, I do think that the weight and the worry of regulation is beginning to kind of impact the growth prospects of these companies. Okay, Josh, so calls for regulation of big tech are getting louder, uh, but people are calling for different things, right? And they fall into a couple of different buckets. Yeah, I think the first one's antitrust. And that's just the idea that a company that is the size of a Google or an Amazon is just going to be able to use its market power to, um, to disadvantage its competitors in one way or another. One typical remedy is, is breaking up the companies. I f personally find that to be a kind of wildly impractical solution. You know, it took, it took like two decades for the Microsoft antitrust case to wing its way through the courts. I think it also took a couple of decades for the IBM antitrust case before then. Tech moves so quickly right now. And I don't know about you, but I have not heard a coherent plan for what breaking up any of these companies would look like. You know, Donald Trump has made some comments about how he thinks that Amazon's too big or Google's too powerful, but the Republican Party is generally not one that will take such actions. So it would really be Congress or regulators that would step in here, and it's hard to see the GOP really taking that on as a crusade. So the other avenue of antitrust enforcement is merger approval, and, and it's difficult for me to see, um, you know, an Amazon buying another company like Whole Foods or, or Google buying YouTube or Facebook buying an Instagram without, you know, some serious scrutiny and maybe even even the federal government blocking uh, such an acquisition. 
Yeah, and I think this could be an interesting area because when I talk to people about what might be the impacts of a slower market for tech, a lot of them said, look, these companies have a lot of cash. Their current forms of growth are slowing. And so a logical thing for them to do is to try to buy new companies. But as they go to do that, as you said, the next acquisition that looks kind of like the Instagram acquisition, it probably won't sail through quite so easily. So that's the potential for antitrust enforcement against the big tech companies. But the other big bucket of regulatory enforcement is likely to come around privacy um, and data protection. We saw a few months ago a major data protection law take effect in Europe called GDPR. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, GDPR tries to come in and address the concern that the way that the technology companies use private data, mostly to target ads, has just gone too far. You saw California actually pass its own privacy law in the wake of GDPR passage. And there's the general idea that there's going to be more of this going ahead in the future. Um, The big tech lobby in Washington is actually really prepping up to try to pass a national privacy law under the idea that um, what it's going to get if it doesn't work on this law will be worse. And I think there's more tension ahead here. Basically, when you have more privacy, these tech companies are going to become less profitable because they use your personal data to target ads. And as these companies are squeezed, they're really going to find more urgency into not allowing some of the more rigorous privacy protections to take place. Although, Josh, there is an argument, and and you often hear it from the tech companies themselves, that regulation could actually be good for them because it would harm smaller players. It would hurt It would hurt competition. Um, It would strengthen, perhaps, even their monopolistic positions. Do you buy that? I think that there's something intellectually satisfying about that. It does make sense, generally, that smaller competitors um, would face uh, more challenges in trying to deal with regulations. On the other hand, it's just so transparently self-serving that it's hard to think that that's really their concern here. So, Josh, one of the one of the uh, salves for uh, you know some of the regulatory pressure that might slow growth uh, for these companies is is pushing into new businesses. So, where do you see, say, Google and Facebook, you know, trying to, to grow their business and make up some of the sh- for some of the shortfalls in their core areas? Yeah, I think the one thing for Google and Facebook that's probably uh, a commonality between them is that they've both taken a large part of the digital ad market, but there's this huge bucket of television advertising that both of them would love to get into. Um, and that's money that's already being spent that they could take away from other advertisers. So I think you'll see them look there. For Google, there's obviously the moonshots. It really is moving ahead on autonomous vehicles, and hopefully we'll be able to do um, more with that in the next year or so. And also move into other markets. As you mentioned, China is a problematic one, but clearly it wants to get in there. Um, Google CEO Sundar Pichai has not backed away from from China very much, even after some pushback from employees. With Facebook, most of its growth is already coming from these acquisitions like Instagram and WhatsApp that looked like pretty rich at the time, but have really paid off for the company. Um, Instagram is a big place that it's focusing on, and it's looking to develop new kinds of ad products that it can use, not in the timeline, but in other places. And so I think that's really where it's going to go. And Brad, you're the Amazon expert. So why don't you tell us about uh, where Amazon might go from here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they're all already planning for kind of slowing growth in that core business, particularly in the U.S., you know, which is kind of quite saturated. Amazon already accounts for, I think, 60% of 
online sales in the, in the U.S. Um, I think, you know, the future is overseas. It's in countries like India and Australia and Brazil, uh, you know, where they have just started new businesses, and they're really kind of struggling. You know, we've heard a lot about Amazon's entrance into the healthcare market. You know, that's very new and very long-term. And I think physical stores, you know, the, the bookstores and the Amazon Go grocery stores, the, the four-star gift stores are popping up all over the country. That could be another major avenue for growth. And then, you know, Apple, I think we talked a little bit already about the service business making up for the shortfall of iPhones. But, you know, just as like Waymo is the great hope for Google, for Alphabet in the long term, I think, you know, you can't discount Apple's ambitions in cars. You know, they hired an engineer from Tesla named Doug Field. And there has long been a rumor that Apple is working on kind of autonomous vehicle software. Who knows, maybe even an, an actual Apple automobile. And so as these companies prepare for slowing growth and more regulatory scrutiny, I think they're probably pinning at least some of their hopes on some of these uh, future, more futuristic businesses. What about kind of their role in society? I think one of the big, uh, one of the big draws to work at these companies, uh, aside from the money, obviously, in the past has been that, you know, they've really been kind of mission-driven companies that felt like they were changing the world. Everybody loved them. And now they're kind of getting it from all sides. How do you think that Silicon Valley is going to deal with not being sort of the darling of American business going forward? I don't know that Silicon Valley is ready to accept that, to be honest. You know, I think it's why Amazon works on things like drones and Facebook's working on VR and Apple's, you know, building a car and, and Google, you know, is trying to help people live longer. I mean, they, they think the solution for all these challenges, these perceptual challenges, is to go and like start inventing again. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. We always want to know what you think of the show. You can email us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net or I'm at Twitter at Joshua Brewstein. And I'm at Brad Stone. If you're a fan of the show, please take a moment to rate and review us. It helps new listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari and Magnus Hendrickson. Our story editor was Aki Ito. Thanks also to Anne Vandermeer, Emily Biuso, and Liz Smith. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Bye.